0: Hello and welcome to The Depression Session on 99.1 FM radio. Today we have with us in the studio Dan Horner. Dan is an event promoter for events of spiritual authors, healers, workshops, and music in Tucson and Phoenix. He's also my boyfriend, disclosure. Um, We'll be right back with Dan, but first let's talk about endings. What the trees can do handsomely, greening and flowering, fading, and then the falling of leaves, human beings cannot do with dignity let alone with, without pain. Martha Gelhorn. Last night, my independent study students had their big end of the semester show. All their hard work this semester hung up with pride. And I felt so happy and excited for them and sad. <laughs> I it's It's a hard thing when something ends. I always struggle with endings, although... I love the sense of accomplishment that comes with finishing a big project or event. It always leaves me depressed. I have situational depression, and the situation is always something ending. Graduating from college, loss of my father, end of a relationship, or moving away, they've all left me deeply depressed and floundering. And I know I'm not alone in this. Back in 1993, I graduated from college Moved to Boston with a boyfriend and all my junk piled up in a big, uh, uh, little, I'm sorry, not a big, a little um, VW. And we just moved to Boston and I struggled. I didn't even know it was depression. I just felt sad and alone and down. And I'd meet new people and things would happen and I had a job, but nothing had any glow to it. And it was that ending, that moment of it's over, it's it. That's all that's left of this whole experience of four years of being in school and the friends and the fun and all of that stuff. And I I spent a good year after that grieving and it it's, I think, you know, it might be just grief just grief as if there's a just grief. It might be just grief when it's, it's for, you know, reasonable period of time. But when it goes on for like four years, (laughs) like with the loss of my father, it goes from grief till the, the chemicals are off, the brain's off and I'm down. And I've been feeling really, really, really good the last month, like really good, really happy, settled, content, the best I felt in four years. And I'm afraid of this ending, finishing things with my students, wrapping it up. I had their big show last night. I was so proud of them, and they were so excited. And for several of them, it was the first time they'd had their artwork on on the wall. So it was a beginning for them, and it felt like the end of a semester to me, you know, this little group that forms. And with all of my other classes, the same thing. You You have a camaraderie. You're in this together. You're you know, making artwork and enjoying the process. And then suddenly it's over. And I'm a little worried how I'm going to feel. Actually, I'm going going to France, yay, to an artist retreat. But I'm a little worried about how I'm going to feel in July when I come home. I hope that having something set up, having something to look forward to, will mediate some of those feelings. Or maybe I'll go to France and be really depressed and make a lot of artwork about it. I want to finish with another quote. It is always important to know when something has reached its end. Closing circles, shutting doors, finishing chapters. It doesn't matter what we call it. What matters is to leave in the past those moments in life that are over. Paul Kalehal. And I would just want to introduce that we have with us in the studio today, Dan Horner. Dan is an event promoter for events of spiritual authors, healers, workshops, and music in Tucson and Phoenix. Hello, Dan, and welcome to the depression session.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hi.
0: Thank you for coming in. We had a little, uh, I had, I had something else lined up and it didn't work out. And Dan was so sweet to say, I'll come in. I have more stuff to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I've had two, uh, two periods of depression in my life. So I, I always, uh, after I did the first uh, episode that I did, I just thought if you ever need me again, I can, I can definitely talk about the other one too.
0: And today I need to (laughs) do. So what's new with you, Dan? What's going on in your life?
1: Hmm. What's new with me? I'm just learning about, I'm reading a lot of spiritual books (laughs) and books on achieving goals and that sort of thing. And I've been doing coaching with clients and really having good, good results with that and trying to line up the next event dan horner productions event that educates empowers enlightens and inspires
0: yeah do you ever get depressed after a big event ends
1: i uh, you know i i listen to that and i have had this discussion actually with other event promoters and it is a very it's such a strange business and and i i listen to a lot of documentaries about rock stars and, and and that sort of thing and it's very similar like they burn themselves out going from show to show to show to show because, I mean, well, first of all, I think they don't want to come off that high. And this is, I was watching a documentary with Alanis Morissette. She was talking about that. But then, you know, at the end of that, it would be so easy after being literally a rock star, not figuratively a rock star, <laughs> literally going around to stadiums with thousands and thousands of people and then getting to this place where there's no more concerts and you're not putting out an album and, and then you can fall really fall off a cliff. And it's not terribly dissimilar, obviously not to the same level, but putting on events, it is, it is kind of the same. You go through this whole trajectory of doing, you know, you, you're constantly building towards something, constantly building towards something. And then it happens and it's over. And then you're kind of like, All that focus towards that goal is now, like, you kind of don't know what to do with yourself afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, that is a little bit disorienting. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit like, it could, it could definitely induce depression. There's definitely a lull afterwards that it's, it's hard to, you know, cause it, a lot of, I think depression has to do with identity. And it's like, okay. Your identity up until that point, you know, you kind of have a. I know what I'm supposed to do. You get up in the morning, and you have kind of this set of activities and things, and you're working towards. And then you get them all done, and then all of a sudden, and you don't have a you don't have a plan to start new ones or whatever. Then it, it does become. It, c- it could definitely, I mean, I've, I've definitely have a a down of after those, and I don't know if I've had depression so much, but I've definitely had some really big downs after them. One other thing I want to say about that is, I, I once went to a workshop with this person and, and, and she said, uh, when you achieve all your hopes, then what you have is hopelessness. Mm. Because, you know, hope <laughs> is this thing. It, it keeps, it's like a carrot in front of you. It, it, it's like the carrot on the stick and it's just out in front of you and you can keep going towards that. But once you get to that carrot, then if if you have no carrot in in front of that and I don't think it's good to go from carrot to carrot to carrot to carrot and you know then you're like oh my god you're living off of this oh life is so you know it's good to have uh, these cycles and ups and downs it's just an interesting way to look at it and I'm not saying everyone who cheats their hopes has hopelessness I mean you graduate from college and you're ready to get a job I mean it's like oh great I mean some people might actually just go oh that's great and this is great and not have any problems with with endings <laughs> just not me <laughs> but I, I do think i mean I, I you know i read a lot about um native american not native americans but uh native cultures and you know having ceremony and ritual there's a very very important thing that we've kind of lost in this culture where we we go from graduating and we don't really hang out afterwards and then we all just go our separate ways and then we get into the job and then you get fired or you, you leave that job without notice or you give them a two-week notice and then you're gone And having those parties at the end and having that closure, it's really something that is lost in our society, is is ritual and closure. And we just go from this thing to this thing to this thing. And then we wonder later why we we feel empty. Yeah. You know?
0: On that note, Dan, tell us the story of your (laughs) depression.
1: (laughs) All right. So I was thinking about this. And... I think the story, so I told the story of my second depression last time, which, which I got a lot more. It was a real, it was a real depression. The first depression was, I realized that it was a, it was a story of comparison. And it was, there was two things in it that, that were standing out to me in, in 10 years, um, hindsight, in 10 years, you know, looking back at it. And one thing is comparison. And the other thing was the hopelessness, right? I, For me, depression, forget what I said last time. I don't, I don't even remember what I said last time. But uh, for that particular period of depression, I realized it, it was a story of there was hopelessness and there was comparison. And so to tell the story of my depression, I have to tell what happened before it a little bit um, because that's where the comparison comes. So gosh, I went to a great school. I went to Annapolis and then I was, of course, you graduate from Annapolis, you go into the Navy for five years or the Marine Corps. And I went into the Navy for five years. And, you know, I, you know, all the way through high school, I was, you know, looking forward to this opportunity going to Annapolis and you graduate and you go into the service and you're in the service for, you know, several years. And for me, it was five and, and, that was you know, really exciting and then it was time to get out of the service and I went and I took a year off and I had a really amazing year where um, it's a whole other story but I, I just to encapsulate some of the cool things I went to ground zero it was 2001 and looked for survivors after right after the towers came down uh, I met Bono <laughs> at, at a concert of his I ran with the bulls in Pamplona I traveled Europe and then after that year I went to Wall Street, you know, I had to get a new job and start working again and and working on Wall Street for a number of years. And that was exciting. And so it was like this, uh, great, you know, kind of awesome. Everything is wonderful existence. And I was always upbeat and people knew me as kind of a happy go lucky guy. And I started to get tired of my job and I left and I got after about a year after I left Wall Street, and I didn't know this, but I was getting actually physically ill um, during Wall Street, my last year there. And I left Wall Street, and I started to get worse. And in the year that I left Wall Street, my health declined so much that I lost about 30 or 40 pounds. And I had... uh During that year, I got fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, dairy intolerance, gluten intolerance. I kept just losing food after food. Um, I had digestive issues and insomnia. Um, It was just like a horrific, horrific time. But in kind of the way I'd lived my life before, it was just like push on through, push on through. But that illness lasted about, I mean, over four years. It was, you know, between four and five years. And I never really got my got like totally well during that time. And it was it was going downhill, downhill, but I I still had something to work on. I wasn't depressed because I had something to focus on, which was my health and trying to figure out the next thing and, and I went through this period where it was exasperating, but what else could I do? I was so sick I couldn't work. I mean I was like a full time project of my own health and body. And it just kept going downhill and after a while I hit this thing where as I read in one book, I've I tried, you know, things that no sane person would try. Because you're desperate, you know, you're desperate and you're grasping at straws, and you hit that and that stuff doesn't work. And then you have, you don't know what where to turn. And then you don't know what to do. And then you have no options. And you meet people that had fibrom- have fibromyalgia and they tell you, I've had it for 20 years or I've had it for 30 years or in some cases I've had it for four years. And for me, when I would hear that and I'd put together this story, and of course, going through the medical system, they they were kind of like, we've got no answers for you. We can give you some drugs for the rest of your life that'll help with the pain or, you know you can go, and you can go get, uh, another thing you can do is go get, uh, counseling. And by that point I was depressed and I was, you know, in the VA medical system and, and they suggested that I go get counseling. And I was like, okay, well I'll, I'll get counseling. Counseling. But I was like, but listen, they were like, you know, there's a theory that depression, that, uh, fibromyalgia is caused by, uh, you know, really deep depression and that you just need to get counseling. And I was, I was kind of like, look, I'm not depressed because I'm depressed just in, and it's like, I'm depressed because I've been sick for five years and I have no hope. And they're like, well, just try it out anyway. And lo and behold, it was extremely beneficial, extremely beneficial, but it didn't cure any of my illnesses. It just helped me work through some other stuff that I had to work through. And, uh, you know, it still it still felt like hopelessness. So, when I think about it, it was the comparison between what my life what like I, how did those people live with fibromyalgia for twenty or thirty or forty years, and it was because. I mean, I don't know if what it, how it was. I really don't know their stories, but for me, in my mind, it was like well, looking back on it in ten years, what caused that depression was how good I had life before that, how. Beaming with possibilities, it always seemed like it had it you know it 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 contained these always these beaming with possibilities, and the future always looked bright and and so it was this huge comparison between that really great fun time in my life and this really dark episode, this really deep, dark, horrible period and. So that's the comparison. And then the second part that I talked about was the hopelessness. So it was like, you get to the end of the road, there's nothing else that can be done. And like I said, those people that I kept meeting, and it was just like, there's nothing that can be done. This is the way I'm going to live my life, and it will never get better. It'll never get completely better. I'll never get back to where, like I was. And not only that, this is like, I wasn't even I mean, it was like people talk about I was the shell of a person I was before. That's like as close as you can get to literal in in my case, you know, I was 30 or 40 pounds lighter and I mean, it wasn't like I had that weight to lose. It wasn't like, you know, I could stand to lose 40 pounds. You know, you could lose a couple of pounds. I mean, I was always in pretty good shape. So it was like, I literally looked like an emaciated uh, refugee survivor or something. So when the future had nothing for me, that's when I started to go into deep depression and start to go, maybe I, I don't want to live this way for 20 years. I don't want to live, I can't live the rest of my life like this. And maybe it'd be better if I didn't. And that, that was, it was, (laughs) those were the darkest of times. You know, hopelessness is the darkest of times. So during that time, it was like I could just every day the negative thoughts got more and more, and the positive thoughts got less and less. Things I had to look forward to were less and less. And the God, I'd rather not be here got more and more. And I hit this place where it was, look, it was, you know, I started to think about it'd be better if I was dead. Way more often than I'm looking forward to the next thing. You know, I would talk to my brother about it. I talk to a lot. I try and talk to people around me, but after a while, I just thought there's nothing that anyone can do for me. And maybe it is better. Like maybe, maybe there, it's not that big of a deal. You know, a a you die, and there's no- nothing after that. So who cares? You're just out of your pain and you don't exist. You're in oblivion. There's no such thing as you anymore. Or B, there's something on the other side and maybe it's better than this. So it's kind of like you're down to these options and you start to think that start to make a logical case for you. It starts to sound like, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a good argument, Dan. and. Then I got into this place where i you know I know you're supposed to reach out when you're in that scenario, but I just thought, oh my God, if I reach out and tell someone and then I end up doing it anyway, that person's gonna feel horrible for the rest of their life, and i don't want I don't want to contribute that to someone else, so that was my justification for not reaching out, and uh somewhere in there, I got to this place where. I wasn't making a plan, but I thought it might be time to start making a plan. And I was kind of weighing the options, weighing the options. Maybe I should start making a plan. And I had, I had, I remember one night it was like, well, I really ought to decide this one way or the other. Because I've been having this thought creep into my head, at least for, you know, more than weeks, like months at this point, it's creeping into my head. And one night it just got so dark and I felt like the darkness was closing around me. And I just thought, yeah, it's probably, it might be a better thing to do. And I don't know, something deep within me, <laughs> I don't know if it knocked me to my senses or what, but I, I just got really mad and I got pissed off and I felt like, I really felt like my mind was actually playing tricks on me. I thought my mind was actually, I don't know what the word is. It was, it was toying with me like in an evil, sinister way. It was messing with me. And I, I, I never really had that thought before that my mind was actually not, you know, was not me, not part of me but it was just kind of like this almost separate entity and I just I kind of was like I got really mad and I was like screw you but I didn't use those (laughs) words and I was like I'm going to get through this and I made a really deep powerful commitment to myself that I was going to see this through, through you know whatever it took for the rest of my life and I was if I had to be I was going to be the first person to be well of fibromyalgia, the first person to conquer it. And if I didn't, I was going to contribute to the cause because you know, at that point I had known there's two to three million people in the United States alone with fibromyalgia. So that's one, one, you know, almost 1% of the population. So I don't know what it was, but in that moment, I, I made the decision yeah, that's, I mean, that's essentially the story of my depression is, is, well, to just to finish it up, I, I made that decision. And from there, things did shift. And a few months after that, I did find someone that helped me get well, who's been on this show. <laughs> and I finally got well, I finally got well from fibromyalgia. And, and at this point, I do believe anybody can heal from anything. And so that's kind of my new new project in life is Helping people heal in all ways, whether it be physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, whatever you have, you know, it's like that's kind of I turn that into my profession.
0: Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for your story. And I, uh, one of the things that I really relate to is that internal dialogue. There's your brain, but it's not on your side. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I feel that that might be a key component of depression. I actually was talking with my students and a friend last night about OCD. There's this internal, like OCD can be like lining things up perfectly and weird little ticks, but it can also be an internal dialogue that for me, I've had weird ones where it's like, you have headlights, you have headlights for like two years. It's telling me this and I'm, I don't have headlights. I know this. <laughs> I, I even had somebody check, you know, and there's like a weird internal dialogue that sometimes just feels like it's, you know, it's you. But you also know it's not it's not a part of you that's very um, helpful and it's not a part of you that is very kind. And when we were talking about OCD, like I know a lot of artists are really obsessive because that's what makes you great. Like you just you just keep going and going and going and going and going and taking to the empty detail that nobody else would bother with. Everybody else would have been fine a month ago and you're still like perfecting it and that the most beautiful work in the world can be made by somebody who's just like obsessed with like one shade of yellow right (laughs) but that internal dialogue it's weird to think that there could be the part of you that is is kind of against you it's not helpful so you speak a little more yeah
1: yeah i I totally agree i I don't one of the things that you shared those articles with me about uh, creativity in the brain. And there are definitely studies that show, you know, creative people are by and large have more anxiety and worry in the world. And it's like because you can create scenarios that are horrible in your mind. And you can create these, you know, just as many horrible scenarios as, as you can good ones. And so it, there's less stability because you don't know what that next thing is, that next step. And so I think it's your mind can it's kind of like i I do think you know i do meditation and other sorts of spiritual practices and i think it is like you do have to tame that thing like you have to tame that's what they talk about in meditations like you have to tame your mind in some some forms of it and i do think it is maybe it's not taming it in, in the typical sense but it's getting getting some control over it, getting some guidance and realizing when it's full of crap <laughs> <laughs> Realizing when it's against you, and it's saying I have head lice, even though you know for a fact you don't have head lice. <laughs> that's you know that's when you you kind of have to have these wake up moments and go, I need to talk to somebody because this is freaking weird. Like this, it's a di- it's a uh, dichotomy that doesn't add up here, yeah. and that's when it's really good to say, get into dialogue with someone else and say I need to work something out here because. On one hand, my mind's telling me this. On the other hand, it's telling me that. And I know neither one, right? I know one of them is not correct because they're <laughs> in opposition.
0: And, and I find that, you know, the meditation is a really good thing to think. Because, like, the thing that has been most helpful for me with any kind of obsessive thought is to say, oh, hello, obsessive thought. Not give it any judgment, any, like, no, no just a recognition. Like, oh, I see you. There you are. And to, instead of seeing that thought and fighting it, just saying, there you are. I see you and something about that makes it manageable. Something about that internal dialogue and just letting it, letting it, I don't know, letting it, letting it be and not judging either side has helped me. And I know in meditation, they talk about just noticing your thoughts with it without any kind of judgment or attachment to it. And for me, that's what allowed me to let go of of any obsessive thought i have it can even be like after a big breakup you know how you cycle through and you have these conversations that you hear going through over and over in your head or a difficulty with a friend why did i say that why did i say that and then just recognize oh i'm 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 looping on this i'm obsessing about it yeah (laughs) no big deal (laughs) and and
1: and that's where i've been i was telling you i was reading Mm -hmm. books about spirituality and um, communication lately and i I think that's where it gets really helpful when you're looping to get it out verbally to somebody, and it's, you can at least get those loops to complete, because that, that loop according to this one book, I'm reading, that, that loop is just a, uh, it's an incomplete uh, dialogue, and when it gets finished, then you're, you know you feel a lot like that loop can stop.
0: Well, Dan, thank you so much. It's such a great note to end this on. It's like, let's stop the loops and move forward. But I'm looking forward to more. <laughs> thanks so much for yeah, being on the so show. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.